Hello, I'm Claire Doherty, the director of Arnolfini in Bristol. You're listening to the Imagine New Rules podcast. I've been director of Arnolfini, Bristol's Centre for Contemporary Arts, for just 50 days. I first walked through the doors of Arnolfini some 30 years ago. Age 17, I'd come from the other side of the country to look at how many paintings by women artists were on display at Bristol Museum as part of a school project. Or at least that was the official line, as I seem to remember, there was a boy involved, but that's another story. I remember standing at the top of this steep Park Street, seeing a sign to Arnolfini and being intrigued by its name. The dockside was rough around the edges, no cafes or bars, no bridge across the harbour, just a few powerboats. It was the 80s after all. I don't remember a great deal about that day, except that I heard sculpture sing at Arnolfini. It was really weird not like anything I'd ever seen before or heard, and I read the black and white leaflet from cover to cover on the train home. This wasn't just a Bristol exhibition, but part of something called TSWA 3D, happening across the whole country, where art had been commissioned for different locations across Britain and Northern Ireland. I couldn't have known it at the time, but I guess it was that chance encounter at Arnolfini that was the beginning of my curiosity in art for unexpected places and for rethinking what public art might be. In my first 50 days, I've heard many stories like my own of the role Arnolfini has played in people's lives, from painters, sculptors, dancers, musicians and filmmakers who remember their first encounters with radical new ideas or breakthrough moments for their own work when still raw and untested, to those whose horizons were changed through an encounter at Arnolfini. Bearing witness to Alastair MacLennan's 54-hour continuous performance in the galleries and across the city in '88 discovering Bridget Riley's mesmerising paintings in 73, watching Rosemary Butcher's dancers being rowed across the harbour mid-performance in 76, hearing Michael Nyman and Peter Greenaway battle it out in conversation in 1979, Keith Carnes extravaganza over the Lloyd's Amphitheatre in 91, the impact of Sunil Gupta's disrupted borders for Innova, and the first in-between time festival in 2001. The stories are always about discovery of a place in which the unexpected happened. Being a safe place for radical ideas has meant historically Arnolfini has been a place of gathering. For Bristol's punks in the late 70s and for protesters against Clause 28 and 88. But throughout my first 50 days, I've also been struck by how many of these stories are in the distant past. Like many cities across the UK, the harbour side is no longer that edgy dockside, but instead the heart of a city at leisure. Back in 1987, when I took my first steps into Arnolfini, you had to locate a department store to buy a cup of coffee. During my first week at Arnolfini, back in August, I sat on the dockside and watched as people moved around the harbour side. I watched as they checked their phones and took selfies by the Cabot statue and wandered in and out of the galleries, or rushed past on their way to work or home, or to other parts of Bristol so different from this place, to Easton or Stokes Croft or Hengrove or Bedminster. 
and I wondered what the future could be for this 56-year-old Centre for Contemporary Arts. Gone are the punks, the protesters, the radicals hanging out in the bar. What would make Arnolfini feel like Bristol's own now? How might it be more than an option on the menu of cultural distractions, but rather a vital organ in the body of the city's culture? This year, the Sunday Times named Bristol as the best place to live in the UK. Rough Guides recommend Bristol as one of the top 10 world cities to visit in 2017. There's no doubt that this small city of independence is culturally rich, but it's also a divided city where the lived culture of different parts of the city is not fully recognised or invested in, in my opinion, where opportunity is not equal, where audiences for and participants in culture remain largely distinct from one another, and where the diversity of stories being lived across the city risks being silence in this rush to promote lifestyle Bristol. So the old model of a city centre arts organisation being engaged in outreach seems ill-fitting considering the question of where, how and by whom culture is produced is open to all. Bristol is a city of originators and so it seems appropriate that we might ask how might Bristol's Centre for Contemporary Arts do things differently. Across the UK, new models of arts organisation are emerging. They respond to the new ways in which art is being produced, shared and consumed and seek to address a growing inequalities of opportunity and social isolation. The Gulbenkian Foundation recently released a report on the civic role of arts organisations, identifying a growing number of visionary cultural leaders who are placing social purpose at the heart of museums and galleries, theatres and performance spaces. Alastair Hudson of MEMA in Middlesbrough has suggested a new form of useful museum, which doesn't ask people to join the art in the museum, but asks the museum to join in with what's happening in the world, demonstrating how art can contribute to resolving some of the social problems that we have. In this podcast series, we'll hear from some of the visionary artists, directors and producers who are spearheading a new movement of arts organisations, which are leading the way in playing a civic role in their hometowns and cities. And we're starting a public conversation here about what the new rules for a new kind of Centre for Contemporary Arts might be. So in the spirit of inventing new rules, I set about thinking what our first new rule might be at Arnolfini. I directed an arts organisation called Situations for 15 years, which had its roots in Bristol, but grew arts projects in unexpected places across the UK and overseas. A touchstone for me throughout those years was a quote by Brian Eno. He said, Sometimes the strongest single importance of a work of art is the celebration of some kind of temporary community. At situations, I saw the emergence of temporary communities around newly commissioned public projects which grew out of the spaces of everyday life. Our challenge at situations was always to make those experiences count amidst the noise and distraction of the everyday, where an encounter with contemporary art might be the last thing on your mind. This experience of thinking about why and how art should matter in a culture of distractions is fundamental to thinking about a more relevant arts organisation for Bristol, that vital organ in the body of the city's culture. Two years ago, I stood in the ruin of Temple Church, which was just off Victoria Street in Bristol, near the station, and I saw something unexpected come to life. It was the first time situations had worked in Bristol for many years, 
the result of an invitation to the Chicago-based artist Theaster Gates to come to Bristol as part of the European Green Capital Cultural Programme. This is an artist known for his remarkable transformation of the south side of Chicago, a charismatic social activist heralded by the international art world. But Theaster was adamant that he wouldn't simply transplant a work from his studio in Bristol or replicate his mode of working to revitalise a beleaguered part of Bristol, parachuting in and out. Instead, he asked me what was missing here, and we talked about the disparate cultural enclaves that fuel this city's independence, but also entrench a sense of this being a divided city. And we talked about Bristol's past, what poet Miles Chambers has referred to as a place still haunted by the ancestral ghost that echoes the historical hangover that yet sobered us up to what time hasn't changed. Theaster was drawn to the bombed-out remains of Temple Church, a protected English heritage site right in the centre of the city, and created there a kind of inner sanctuary called Sanctum, using discarded and dormant materials from former places of labour and worship across the city. Bristol's histories collided in the materials of Sanctum, roof joists from a sugar warehouse just a few feet from Arnolfini, Bristol-made bricks from the Salvation Army's Citadel in St Paul's, a gym floor from a school in Filton, the doors from a chocolate factory. But had Theaster just created an installation in the church, that might have been an interesting sculptural exercise, but he was interested in the live reality of Bristol as well, as well as he was in its past. He was, as Eno suggests, intrigued to see what temporary community Sanctum might build. From the moment Sanctum opened its doors, a continuous programme of music and performance was sustained 24 hours a day for 24 days. That's 552 hours. Working with Make, one of the city's most dynamic festival producers, we involved 700 performers from across the city, some of whom were residents, some were visiting during the 24 days of Sanctum's life. Sanctum was the sound of Bristol. From spoken word artists to musicians, bands, singer-songwriters, live artists, theatre performers and choirs, capacity was limited to just 50 people at a time, which really created a sense of intimacy. And the programme was kept secret, so you never knew what you were going to hear. You could come any time of day or night. For those 24 days, a kind of secular congregation formed around Sanctum. You couldn't select or book what you were going to see, no live stream, so you had to come to Bristol to experience it. So storytelling became fundamental to the way in which you engaged or heard about Sanctum. But most importantly, Sanctum was Bristol, in the colliding of histories in its fabric, in the spirit of mashup and provisional nature, in its generosity and independence. It was catalyzed by an international artist, but it couldn't have occurred anywhere else but Bristol. Despite the differences between the variety of different places situations has worked over the years, from Norway to New Zealand, from Yorkshire to Cornwall, one single principle of success has emerged, that a connection and resonance with place in its complexities and complications must be at the heart of what you do. So, if we were to embark on imagining the new rules for a centre for contemporary arts here in Bristol, that's where I would start with place. Rule number one, begin with where you are, ground everything you do in place, and then grow the unexpected from there.
Thank you for listening to Imagine New Rules. All the podcasts in this series are available for download at arnolfini.org.uk. Ensure you're notified of future episodes by following Arnolfini on SoundCloud.